welcome back to another episode of Talking Shop. This is a very special episode for myself and Brett Rutherford who's joining me, the host now of Tomahawk Talk. How you doing, man? Good, yeah. We've been uh, kind of mucking it up on, on Tomahawk Talk. I know last summer uh, we, we talked a lot of Florida State baseball on this mm-hmm. podcast, some of the early episodes of this podcast, and that's, you know, that's what I'm here to do today. Exactly. We're getting back to our roots here tonight, and that's why it's a very special episode because we love baseball. We love springtime, so... This is our baseball preview episode, and we're not really going to be able to touch on as much as we'd like, but we do have some really cool interviews for you guys for this episode. We have the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, Mike Metcalf from FSU Baseball, along with uh, sophomore catcher Matthew Nelson also on. So we'll have those interviews on the back half of this podcast. But before we get into that and the interviews, let's talk about this team and what we've seen or what we know and possibly even don't know about this team. Because... I'd say there's a lot of question marks. They've lost some pretty big names uh, coming into this season. Some of the ones just throw out there. Mike Salvatore, infielder. Drew Mendoza, third baseman. J.C. Flowers, pitcher slash outfielder. Andrew Parrish. So what do we make of these losses that this team has taken, and how are they going to bounce back, kind of? Well, I was looking. Between Salvatore, Mendoza, and Flowers, 160 runs batted in between the three of them just last year. You've got to try to find a way to make up at least some of that production. I think it's going to be really hard to make up all of that production. You've got a lot of young players. You've got a lot of players that still have some developing to do within this program. And you've got a whole new coaching staff, a whole new offensive philosophy from what we've been told um, from Mike Martin Jr. And, and the rest of the coaching staff. So it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be a kind of a, a, a transition year, not a rebuilding year for Florida no. State baseball. They're still recruiting at a super high rate. They've got a talented freshman class in from what we've seen, you know, based on some of the recruiting rankings online. But it's going to be, I don't know, a bit of maybe, I would expect a slow start maybe. Yeah, and it becomes kind of a money ball situation where you look at these numbers and you say we got to get back X amount of productivity, X amount of runs, X amount of strikeouts and innings. And you start to become like who is going to be these guys to step up there. And one of the guys, or let's start with the infield, I guess, first. In terms of the infielders and who we like, Nando DeSatis, I think he's got to have a better year this year. He batted 231 last year. Had some, was really, I thought, he, I, he impressed me with the glove. I know playing in middle infield, you're going to be making a few more errors than expected. But he really can flash the leather, but it's just the bat that we need to see more from. Yeah, DeSatis is an interesting one. Started the year as the starting shortstop. Mm-hmm. Ended up get, moving over to second base, swapping spots with Mike Salvatore. DeSantis struggled a lot at the plate, but a lot of freshmen do. And DeSantis is, yeah, definitely, um, his calling card is his glove. Mm-hmm. And even though the errors were a little high early on in the season, he showed a lot of promise, um, you know, on defense. And I think that's only going to continue this year. You just hope the bat comes along, showed some pop, had a few big home runs, had a big home run against Florida in a game that Florida State ended up losing as they as they have uh, liked to do as, as of late. But um, DeSantis, I'm not too worried about him and his offensive development moving forward. Yeah, and one thing I do like about DeSantis is his versatility because he is a switch hitter, so he can kind of yeah. attack from both sides of the plate and kind of get play along to whichever pitcher the opposing team throws at him. So that's a plus to DeSantis. But moving forward now, we got they got to fill in someone at the third base position. Drew Mendoza is not there anymore. You cannot call on his name in a big moment when, like he did, or – when he was able to show up nine times out of ten, it felt like, yeah. in the past history for him. So who do we think is going to be kind of replacing him and kind of stepping in, or do we even have an idea? It's it's going to be interesting. Um, in fall, I think they gave uh, a couple guys some opportunities. I think there's some freshmen in there that, that have uh, you know the potential to fill in. 
Um, I know you were mentioned. Was it uh, was it Cooper Swanson that we thought was going to probably Cooper pick up a, a lot chance. of innings early on? Because I'm pretty sure I'm 99 percent sure this he's an infielder by trade. So yeah. I know he played a little bit of he played outfield his freshman year. Yeah, and there were a few times where I noticed when he was when the balls were hit over his head, he just took the wrong read. Like he didn't open up his hip, hips. He didn't put his head down trying to run to the spot. He was kind of trying to ball watch and backpedal and just take the absolute wrong route to the ball. Yeah. So it really showed. And so hopefully he can, can kind of get back to his roots, maybe play a bit of the corner so maybe he can even step in at first or third. Because I know first is another big question mark we have. Well, in the outfield last year, a lot of problems. Reese Albert was missed, missed a good chunk mm-hmm. of last season with that shoulder injury. He's fully healthy now. But they're kind of trying to pigeonhole Cooper Swanson into a position to try to get his bat into the lineup. He only hit 159, but a 409 slugging percentage. He got a lot of pop. He had seven homers last year. And if they can get a more consistent playing time, uh, get them starting more often, and get them consistent at bats, you you just assume that the batting average um, and the rest of the offensive tools will kind of come along with the pop that Swanson brought last year. Exactly, and he played. He only started 27 games, but played in 47 games total. Yeah. So it really doesn't help. Coming from a hitter's perspective, we know that it hurts when you're not able to kind of get at bats every day and see live pitching because you can take as many hacks as you want in a batting cage and with a machine. But it does not prepare you for what's going to come out of a pitcher's arm regarding arm angle, descent, angle of descent, and what have you. It's just it hurts when you're not able to see live pitching. What, what, what the biggest testament to Swanson's, um, you know, his offensive prowess is a little over 100 plate appearances last year, 25 walks. Yeah. You know, when he was coming off the bench in big situations for Florida State, uh, pit, you know, pitchers took notice of that. They pitcher, pitchers took notice of the pop he had, and you know when he's in the middle of the lineup. For Florida State, you're not going to be able to pitch around him as much as you would in some of those key situations. Yeah, he was pretty much the highest walk getter on the team, other than or on the bench, uh, the incon- the more inconsistent players. I've, other than Reese Albert, I mean Reese Albert had 27, so certainly a good bright spot in his game right now. But we got some other questions to go with, and we can switch. I mean, the outfield's not really going to be that big of a question. We can touch on them first. They are. They have some pretty. Big names right now. Uh, according to D1 Baseball, Florida State is actually the only school with three outfielders in the top 100. That is Robbie Martin, Reese Albert, and Elijah Cabell. Yeah. Elijah Cabell, we can talk with him first. That's an interesting situation because he really kind of got into with uh, Levin, Mark Martin, last season. And they took away some playing time. And In, in the biggest part of the season, yeah. in the postseason, Tim Becker comes in and, and replaces Cabell. Cabell gets benched, doesn't I think he came off the bench once or twice mm-hmm. throughout the postseason. Um, but a guy that you and I both know has maybe more potential than anyone else on this roster, on the um, at least for the position players. Um, he smacked seven home runs last year, stole nine bases. He's got pretty much all five tools if he can put them all together. Mm-hmm. I know I think he broke the single-season strikeout record last year for Florida State, and he went through some other things, but Cabell was the highest-rated recruit in his class, um, which included, some, you know, Nando DeSantis, who we, we, we talked about earlier. Um, Cabell's a guy that I'm, I've always been interested in since I you know first saw him play for Florida State. Some of those first batting practices where he was just absolutely tearing the cover off the ball, we saw him do that in, in a lot of games throughout the season. Um, I, I, re- I really want to see him put together a solid campaign and kind of live up to the potential that he has. He really just has to kind of settle down. Like, yeah. I guess mentally you could put it as a hitter. He can't get so antsy at the plate, which he really does, and that's what leads to a league lead, or a, sorry, a program leading 
strikeout rate, which I don't even how many was Eight, it exactly? 88 strikeouts he, in I don't know how many, a little probably a 250 to 300 plate appearances. Next closest was Drew Mendoza with 72 last season. So that is a fair amount. And considering yeah. uh, Cabell didn't play as many games yeah, as yeah, exactly. Mendoza. So. Only 54 starts. Uh, yeah, I think it was in the 250 to 300 in the plate appearance range. But Cabell's a guy, we, we've seen him do it. it. We know he's capable of it. It's just all a matter of, you know, Bringing that product to the field. Exactly. And with the kind of the tiff that he had with Martin, it kind of remembers, it reminds me of what happened with Cooper Swanson his freshman year. Because yeah. he had a few times where he messed up in the outfield, and then after the inning, he would run back in, and Martin would chew him out. Yeah. And after I saw one time, it was early in the year, he got chewed out, and I didn't see him for a good week and a half, maybe. Yeah, and it happens. <laughs> so Martin really... 11, 11 was, was known for that, and he... he Made sure that the players kind of knew that knew their place, but but Cabell again saw him some of the early practices this spring, and he looks like he had a lot of muscle this off season, which for a power hitter like him, it's surprising if he can get even stronger. Exactly, because I noticed it when the first time I was at practice for FSU his freshman year, I didn't even know his name. I didn't know who he was. I just saw the way the ball, the ball, way the ball, or how the ball sounded mm-hmm. coming off the bat. And the velocity that I was going out with was impressive. And yeah. that's just one of those things where you don't even have to know a name or a number or any past statistics. That kid has something. Yeah, no, he looks like he's probably going to fill in at left field. I uh, played a lot the other for mm-hmm. most of last year. Reese Albert probably moving to center. Cabell could play some center as well. And, uh, and Reese Albert moving from right field. And then Robbie Martin in right field, which is uh, he's probably not the best defensive option. but Didn't make an error. Didn't, Didn't make an error last year. Only twenty. How bad can he be defensively? <laughs> he uh, spent a lot of time as a designated hitter, but Robbie Martin, I think a guy that had an incredible season, kind of blew past all of our expectations. Hit three fifteen, drove in fifty four runs, had a four forty nine slugging percentage, got on base, uh, you know, a, a three ninety eight on base percentage. Um, really, just played played great. I know that tapered off towards the end of the season. I know some the strikeouts started to go up towards the end of the season. But if he can repeat, uh, you know, what he did his freshman year, Robbie Martin is could be the best hitter on this team. Yeah, I mean, he was only a few batting average points away from being the highest average on the team, short, uh, second to Mike, Mike Salvatore at 340. But is there any chance defensively? Do you think we he can maybe move down to maybe the infield, either first base somewhere? Because I, I know on the on the roster that we have right here in front of us. He's listed as an outfielder. I think they're gonna they're gonna have to have to play him more innings in right field, just given the makeup of the roster. Unless they find other guys that can fill in out there, and then yeah, you might see him pick up some innings at first. But I think they're gonna try to DH him as much, yeah. much as possible. It's really gonna be dependent on out of the the young group of guys who either didn't get play, playing time last year or are new to the program this year, who can step up, who can show that they're capable to play in the outfield, who can pick up some of those innings that can keep Martin in the lineup and let him just focus on his hitting. Mm-hmm. And with those young guys, I counted them up on this roster that we have in front of us. Twelve true freshmen on this team. A lot of new, a lot of young blood, uh, you know, kind of infused into this Florida State program, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. Exactly, and obviously we can't really speak to how good these guys are or aren't at this point because yeah. we you can't really high school baseball is such a tough thing to or a tough way to grade guys off of because. There's such a huge gap in talent level when you look at high school ball because you have these guys that can go play Major League Baseball or go get paid to play baseball as 18-year-olds playing against 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds who aren't going to touch a baseball after 
uh, this, after their final season is done. Yeah, for sure. It's it's uh, which is fun, which is also part of the fun of baseball it season. Is. You can see who who some of these new players are and what they can provide to the program. Exactly, but that's why I'm saying you just can't judge these guys too quickly. We can no. jump over now to the pitchers and yeah. what they got. And really, the leader of this team in terms of pitching is going to have to be C.J. Van Eyck. He got hot at the end of last year. He showed he had some real stuff. And hopefully we can see him build on that because there were certain points in uh, 2018 season and then the 19 season where he just looked inconsistent to me and yeah. I just wasn't sure. And I know we've had that those kind of moments with Drew Parrish from last season, and I stood behind, behind him then. You can go back and listen to the first few episodes of Talk and Chop and you'll hear me saying, I'm standing <laughs> behind my guy, Drew Parrish. And I'm, I feel like C.J. Van, Van Eyck's a step above Drew Parrish, but... We'll have to wait and see. C.J. Van Eyck, watching him develop throughout last season, you saw the stuff. It was mm-hmm. all about putting all the right pieces together. And he did that as the season went on. And that all kind of culminated with the postseason he had, uh, with the uh, regional tournament he had, uh, with that performance against Georgia where the you know the curveball was just dropping off a table. The fastball was electric. I saw him top out in-game at like 98 on the gun. Um, C.J. Van Eyck is a guy with first-round stuff. And if he has a season like he did last year, especially towards the end of last year, he will go in the first round. Uh, and this will be his last year with Florida State because he's he's already showing up there in a lot of mocks, uh, mock drafts. Um, CJ, and, and another reason you can uh, kind of, I feel a little confident in how he's going to perform is just the way the coaching staff talks about him. Um, uh, me has had nothing but high praise for CJ Van Eyck. Jimmy Bellinger, who's Van Eyck's third uh, pitching coach in three years, um, just seems so confident in the kid, a guy that he just met a few months ago, um, and, and obviously has seen him pitch in the past. It really kind of speaks to to the level that CJ has pitched at, um, through, you know, through last season into the fall and now into the spring. Um, and, he, and he's uh, if they haven't officially announced, I think they might have at this point. He'll, he'll be if a anything, Friday they'll starter. officially announce on Thursday at yeah. media availability. So we'll I think hear they're that. already including him in like the opening night graphics. I don't think there's any mystery here no. that, that CJ is going to be the Friday guy. 129 strikeouts and 99 in the third innings last season. The walks were up there. He had 41 walks, but when the strikeouts are that high, uh, it's not as much of a concern as it could be. Exactly. And one other guy that I want to touch on from that who left. J.C. Flowers, I know we touched on him being leaving the outfield, but he was a he was an impressive guy to have come out there and pitch as a closer for this team last year and really stepped up in a lot of big situations. And now he's actually a pitcher in the Pittsburgh yeah. Pirates system. Now, you can make an argument that J.C. Flowers was the most valuable player on this baseball team yeah. last year. We knew he had pitched in the past. Uh, kind of unexpected that he was going to pitch uh, again in this, in this past season. And then the bat came alive for him, too, and he really had uh, his best season at Florida State at a 1.69 ERA, 25 strikeouts in 26 and two-thirds innings, um, and ended up being drafted as a pitcher. So, yeah, I mean, J.C. was incredible. Uh, good news for Florida State is they've got a lot of guys returning that can make up this bullpen. I don't think there's going to be a true closer, at least that's established right away, but they've got enough guys. you got Clayton Kwiatkowski, you got Jonas Scalaro, you got uh, Antonio Velez. I know all three of those are lefties. Um, but three guys that have pitched out of the bullpen before a four-year program um, that you can rely on again this season. Yeah, I could really, I mean, looking to who could possibly step up and establish themselves as this closer, I could see it being Antonio Velez right now. I mean, yeah. we've seen some stuff out of him in relief last well, year. Look what he did uh, in Baton Rouge in game mm-hmm. two of that Super Regional, pitched exactly. how many innings out of the bullpen and shut down that Tigers offense. Exactly. So he has the stuff to prove, and he's got 
some ice in his veins possibly as we saw in Baton Rouge. So maybe he's the guy who kind of emerges as the front runner on the back half of the yeah. bullpen. If he's not starting games. I could see yeah. him picking up some Sunday starts and some weeknight starts. Because um, it's it looks, not, yeah, because we don't really know who's going to be the uh, the Sunday starter. Because we can assume right now that Shane Drohan's going to be the Saturday guy. Yeah, no, for sure, and, and, and that's what's going to be really interesting to see how Meat deals with his pitching staff. Obviously, he's got Jimmy Bellinger in mm-hmm. as his pitching coach, but he has said in the past that he is open to any sort of mismatch to to put together, you know, nine innings that you need on any given day um, from his pitching staff, and he's got a deep enough staff. To do that again this year, I think even once last year they used Flowers as a as a quote unquote opener, mm-hmm. and so he's not afraid to mix and match and try different things um, uh, throughout the season. I was gonna say, do you think he's afraid, or do you think he's willing enough to call uh, former Florida State baseball player Kevin Cash? It wouldn't shock him if he has already. Yeah, but think about it like that. Say you know you got into a big game in the postseason. You could start a guy like Velez and then bring C.J. Van Eyken in the second or third inning, bring in 98. Velez, you know, has got good stuff, but he doesn't have that overpowering fastball. That could really mess with with, uh, with some lineups. So, me, he's going to he's gonna experiment, I think, with the pitching staff this year. He's got the guys to do it, and we kind of get to watch it all unfold in his first season at the helm for, for Florida State baseball. Exactly, and one weekend where I can really think of a possible opener situation being needed is very early in the year, Feb- yeah. the weekend of February 28th. The Seminoles will take on FAU on Friday night, the 28th, at 6 p.m., FAU on Saturday at 2, and then Texas Tech at 6 p.m. on that Saturday, and then Texas Tech again the following day on Sunday at 1. So that is, I I think we've gone over this multiple times, it's the toughest weekend in college baseball, in my opinion, because you have two tournament teams, FAU who played in the uh, Athens Regional against FSU, so Mm -hmm. they played each other recently. First time they've came back to Tallahassee in a long, long time. They haven't. Uh, Martin was kind of. A, I think he was afraid, from what I've heard, being around FAU and their program a little bit. I think I've heard they were a little bit afraid of playing the Owls yeah. down there for a bit. But it's going to be tough because you got FAU and then another tournament team, another College World Series team in Texas Tech coming to town. So by far the hardest weekend. I, I think a lot of people have not necessarily complained, but talked about the fact that not a whole lot of major opponents. Come to Dick Houser Stadium and play in Tallahassee. Obviously, Florida comes once Only a year. Only one time, though. And, and you obviously have some really talented teams in the ACC, but a lot of fans were clamoring for some really good non-conference opponents to come in and not play on the, necessarily the weeknights, but on the weekends. And Florida Atlantic, they'll provide a formidable uh, competition for Florida State and Texas Tech, one of the perennial powerhouses in college baseball. That weekend, those four games, I don't, I'm guessing Atlantic and Texas Tech play at some point. Perhaps. I don't even know. There's going to be a lot of good baseball at Hauser, regardless, between FAU, Florida State, and Texas Tech. It's going to be definitely one to watch. Yeah, exactly. And to put it in perspective, last year at that, for the third weekend of the season, FSU was playing Mercer. They beat Mercer 9 5, 12 1, and 5 1. So it was really just a lackluster kind of schedule in terms of yeah, out-of-conference it, it took about a month, month and a half for the season to really get going. And, and this year, Florida State baseball really kind of, kind of be not thrown to the wolves. They get a couple of weeks to warm up. But that weekend is really going to be the start of the yeah. of the, the tough season for we, Florida State. We really see what this team is going to be made yeah. of early on because we'll see if they can come back and fight against these tough teams. But is there anything else that we got on this team going into these interviews that we got coming up? I don't know, man. I want to get to these interviews. There's some juicy stuff in these, some really good stuff we got out of Coach Matt Caff and, and Matt Nelson. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah, maybe I'll be playing for the Knowles in a few years. You'll hear that at the end of the interview. But 
We'll send you over to the interviews right now with Mike Metcalf and Matthew Nelson. Enjoy. All right, and joining on Talking Chop right now, we have the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator for FSU Baseball, Mike Metcalf. How are you doing today, sir? Doing well. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Hey, baseball season's right around the corner, so yeah. so always always good stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. Got that weather through last night, ready to roll this weekend, get some more work in. It was pretty nasty for a while. Yeah, thankfully it wasn't too much damage as yeah. far as I'm concerned. But yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, how are you feeling about the season coming up and the energy around this team? Uh, there's excitement. There's excitement in the clubhouse. You know, they, they get after it every day on the field and, and put together um, good sessions with practice, with uh, individual work when we start off with practices. And there's a focus that um, is exciting. To be a part of, you know, it's it's always exciting at the start of the season, but it's it's real and it's genuine, and, and this group enjoys being around each other and working hard together, and they're all striving for, for the same goal, and that's to win ball games. Yeah, you've seen it firsthand, I'm sure, that the type of talent that this program has brought in for, for so long. What's it like to be able to, you know, come into a situation like this and work with some of these guys? Yeah, I've been fortunate. I've uh, been able to come out here for the last 11 years and, and scout uh, past Florida State teams and see the talent that goes on that field every year. Um, to get in here in the clubhouse with them day to day, uh, to see what goes into it. Um, it's, it. There's some secrets out there that you try to figure out as a scout of how they win so much. And then when you get in here, day, the day-to-day operations and how everybody goes about their business and, and the structure and, and everything that comes along with the operations here in, in Tallahassee for, for the baseball club, you start figuring out why they're success and stick to the, stick to the scripts, stick to the, the daily grind, and you're going to be in a pretty good shape. And before coming here, what was your relationship uh, like with Coach Mike Martin Jr. and how that brought you here? Sure, saw Coach Martin quite a bit on the road um, during the summertime, especially when they're when they're hot and heavy. Well, I guess now I'm hot and heavy <laughs> doing the recruiting. We were all, all all the same events, you know, chasing the same names. They were usually chasing a little bit younger players, but all these events have the year or two below the draft eligible year at the same tournaments. So through that, you know, we created a, a pretty good relationship. Um, he knew that, that I was a Florida State fan way before I was doing anything else. So he knew that I, I had Florida State's, um, you know, at heart that I was going to make sure that I can help him any way I could. And so as the years went on, you know, we were in constant communication, not only about the players here that were draft eligible that we had interest in, but also the players that were coming here and where they kind of stood in regards to the industry, professional baseball industry's eyes. Mm-hmm. So that's basically, we, it started off. Um, and Mike Bell, when he was here, mm-hmm. um, I from the same town as Mike Bell, I've known him my whole life, so that that helped um, speed up the process of creating a relationship, a trusting relationship with Coach Martin. So you obviously have a lot of experience in all different you know aspects of baseball, the collegiate and then the professional level. What what kind of experience uh, can you can you bring to this program? Have you brought to this program already? Well, I think I think just a different set of eyes. I'm I'm so used to watching the game on the other side of the gate and. You know, understanding what perception versus reality may be, um, helping these players understand that um, I see a lot of teams when I'm scouting that win a lot of games, and these are certain things they do, and, and what we're doing here works. And this is one of the clubs that always won games, and and, and allowing them to be who they are as an, as an organization here at, in Tallahassee, and um, also helping them with any questions they have on the process of the draft, um, understand what guys like I used to be look for in players, um, and, and then just help guide them to, to better themselves as players and, and, and as people. You know, it's, it's a huge thing with makeup, and 
I think that they've gotten it right more times than not here in Tallahassee with the makeup on players, which helps them have success in Tallahassee, but also beyond Tallahassee when they get into pro ball. Yeah, and, and uh, a lot has changed in the game of baseball, you know, since you've been, you know, started working. Uh, what, how has the ability to assess talent or recruit players or scout players, how has that changed over the last, you know, decade or so? Well, there's, there's more information. You, you have more data at, at your fingertips um, to help with your evaluation of players. Um, last year, we had a changeover with the Giants, and, you know, it was a big data deal that everybody talked about. We, were having, we had the same data. Every year, you get more. Um, every year, there's more stuff that, that guys, teams are looking for. Um, and, and on the recruiting end of it, we have a lot more data each year that's going to go by now. Um, Trackman's in pretty much every, every yeah. uh, field that these guys are playing at as 10th graders over the summer. So, you know, you're collecting that information and, and using that as a tool to make the right choices on players, both at the professional level and at the college level. Um, guys still have to play the game the right way. <laughs> guys still have to do what's right in the classroom and, and off the field in the community. Um, but it's, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle that you're starting to see more and more um, dependence on it. Um, but they still got to do things the right way on the field and play it's the game the It's not just the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. No, no. And I think that... Um, you know, on the professional side, um, there's a perception that it's all numbers, but there's still a lot of stuff that you have to see with your own two eyes. Yeah, because I was about to say, coming from my playing background, I've always put more weight into an eye test rather than the numbers. Like, how do you find that way to balance the two and find the right combination? You know, for me, when watching a player, I'm building a file in my mind of that player. Um, and in that file is the eye test is video that I've evaluated, is the data that I've maybe collected from certain spots, and we're building a file. And, and for me, the, the bigger the file, with, with more opportunities to evaluate within that file, it helps me make deci better decisions. Um, we're not gonna be right on all of our decisions, and nobody's gonna be 100%, but the more data that you collect to put into that file, both with the eyes and with the numbers coming through, the better chance you have of hitting on your decision. What would you say the biggest difference is between scouting for a professional level and recruiting here at the collegiate level? Faster pace. You know, you start, you start building that quote-unquote file for the draft um, June 20th, um, and you have from June 20th until June 8th mm -hmm. to build a file and make a decision. And with the, with the speed of this recruiting uh, game, per se, it's a lot faster. You know, you... You have to GM in a bunch of information into your file in my mind uh, to make the right decision at a much quicker rate because I don't have almost a full year a lot of times because good players are recruited by good programs and we feel like we want to go up against the good programs and uh, compete man to man with them in recruiting. So that's the, the speed of it. Very similar I would say to uh, the international scouting world because the players are younger um, and it's a little bit easier to to make offers, you, there's not a draft yet on the international side, so you, you have to be prepared to see something, collect information, do your homework, do it at a fast rate so you can put an offer out there before somebody else does. What's it like being able to, or now being on the side where you're trying to uh, recruit a guy to go to college rather than to go to the pros and say, we don't want you to really take the college route, or kind of going from the other side, we don't want you to be on the college route. Well, you know, for, for me, um, as a father of two, it was, it was never a competition to try to convince a player not to go to college. In order to go play professional baseball out of high school, you have to be 100% in. 100% um, in mentally, 100% phys physically, 
understand the grind, and if you question it at all, we weren't going to try to force the hand on them. I was fortunate with uh, John Barr, who was my boss, my mentor, and Ed Creech. Um, we, we, didn't try to, we didn't try to push the envelope on guys. So I never felt like I was in a situation to try to convince a guy not to go to college. So coming on this side, it's the same thing. You know, we, we hope that we have, an, we have guys that we're recruiting that we sign that have the opportunity to say yes or no to professional baseball. That means we're on pretty good players. Um, you know, the, the fact that not all of them sign and go play professional baseball is sometimes forgotten. You know, because everybody talks about the players that sign out of high school, but nobody talks about the hundreds that don't sign. Um, that end up getting a lot more money and get, <laughs> getting a better draft status come three years down the road. So it's, there's not a huge difference because I don't feel like if, if it was my child, I wouldn't want somebody to supply half the information, and we never did that with the Giants. You know, We gave them all the information, and if you're in and we felt like you were in, then we were going to go after you. But at no point were we going to try to convince you to leave college and go to professional baseball. Yeah. So it's not a, it's, for me, it's not that big a deal. I mean, we want to be on the right guys. We want to have conversations. And I feel like my background with the draft and, and how the, the, whole, the whole thing works will help us educate our recruits and help them make the right decision, and that's to be in Tallahassee. I'm kind of looking forward to, to this season. What momentum were you guys able to build up uh, this past fall, and now you've spring practice started a couple of weeks back? You know, I think, it, and we all heard it. Um, I heard it prior to joining the staff. You know, the, the, the fast pace um, that Coach Martin wants them playing at really helped everything kind of glue together by the end of the fall. Everybody was on the same page, moving on and off the field, taking bases, doing things um, at, a, at a faster pace, playing the game, putting pressure on the other team, and, and as we're doing that to our own group that we're, that we're competing against, you realize how that can help. So I think momentum-wise, it, it, it really helped everybody buy in to the vision that Coach Martin Jr. brought in. And what did you like about this team when you first came here that Coach Mike Martin left for you and the new staff? The school players. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some good players. I mean, let's, you know, it comes down to the players. And, and they did a good job getting good players on campus. They did a great job of developing those players because they're better players today than they were when I saw them in high school, which is, a, which is good. You know, that's what you want. Yeah. Um, but, but they did a great job as a staff last year of developing talent, making them different than what they were, adding to their value, adding to their tool sets, and um, giving, giving us an opportunity to, to continue that process because it's a never-ending process. I mean, that team last year, I saw them against Youngtown State here in that doubleheader, and, and they were a different team in Omaha, or when they, when they beat LSU, mm-hmm. and I watched it, they were a different team. So it's a process, and it's going to continue to be a process. Were there any players that you were scouting out of high school or even at Florida State that are now on this team that you maybe had conversations with about going, going to play NL, in the MLB? My, my, role, my role with this group of guys, when they, were, when they were in high school, my role was as a cross-checker, so I oversaw the, saw the Southeast. So our area guys had most of the one-on-one conversations, mm-hmm. and then I collected all that information um, and presented that when we were at our draft meetings. I did get to know some of these guys just by passing and always being at the same tournaments during the summer and in the fall. Um, so, yeah, m- most of these guys on this roster I saw play as high school players. Matter of fact, I would say probably 95% of them I saw <laughs> at some point or another. And, and spe- speaking of the, this freshman class that you guys have in now, a lot of, a lot of talent there. You guys looking forward to how they're going to develop? Yeah, they really, they've really fit in well with the rest of our guys. Um, it's, a, it's a tight-knit group. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. Uh, talent-wise, there's definitely tools and equipment and stuff to build on. 
which is exciting, and they're not afraid to work. They're not they're not going out there playing timid. They're going out there and they're playing they're playing to get a job. They're, they're playing to earn a job, and, and that's what's beautiful is competition breeds success. And, and we've got a lot of comp competition going out there right now, um, which will hopefully breed quite a bit of success. And uh, sorry. Um... With the shorting recruiting cycle, you came here around July. What was it like kind of getting this recruiting cycle, albeit very short, and trying to get some players on staff? Because we noticed a few of your tweets going out about signing a few players here and there. More than a few. More than a few. <laughs> Just, yeah. Florida State's a wonderful brand. Um, and, and, you know, I've had the pleasure, our staff has had a pleasure sitting in with all the assistant coaches around campus and, and listening to them talk. And it's, it's, a, and it's an amazing brand. It's an ama amazing family atmosphere in regards to the coaching staff and athletes. Um, when I got on campus, it was hit the road running. Coach Bellinger and I, yeah. go. Um, we understood where we were at in our 20 class. We understood where we were at in our 21 class. And we understood that the 22 class was where it was. Um, you start going out there, you start having the right conversations with the right players and the right travel coaches and high school coaches. And you realize real quick that you're never out. Yeah. And that's one thing I've learned here is you're never out of the hunt on players when you're recruiting them because of the brand, because of the family environment, because it truly is um, a lot of people talk about family this, family that. But when you get on this campus, it's real. And, and the brand is real. And, you know, Odell made a comment a couple weeks ago in a staff meeting talking about, you know, you walk in that house, that brand, that brand's never out of a fight. And he's right. So, you know, for us, it was getting our feet on the ground, getting our feet running, getting out there, being seen. Wearing, wearing the brand, wearing the logo, and understanding that we're here and we're not going anywhere. You want to be a null, you want to be null-blooded, here we go. And we were fortunate enough to um, have success with that to start. And we feel really good about the players that, that want to be part of Null Nation, and um, we feel like we've only scratched the surface, so we're going to keep rolling. You mentioned uh, Coach Odell over at the football program, and obviously we hear that a lot, Florida State family, Null Nation. Is that really what you feel like it is between you know the athletic programs and the coaching staffs and everyone involved? As a, as a Florida State fan my whole life, I heard and read quite a bit about it. Um, you, can't, you, you, you can't put into words what it actually is when you get here and you're on staff. It's real. It's real. And there's examples upon examples. But the bottom line is, is daily when we're over there eating or taking care of stuff across the street at, at the Moore Center, it, it, it's cordial, real hellos, good lucks. It, it truly is a family environment that I'm not sure exists in a lot in most places. And I, I can't, you can't describe it. Um, I'm amazed by it because I thought it was there, but when you actually live it every day, you're amazed by it. It's, it's something that, that doesn't exist. So, so what was that decision like when, you know, you had the opportunity to join this staff? And join you know, the San Francisco Giants, I, um, I, had, the, I had the pleasure and, and the honor of working for the Giants for 11 years. They gave me an opportunity to do something a little bit different in my in my baseball career and kind of change course and it was a tough decision yeah um we've i've got three world series rings i've got guys that you know andrew mccutcheon was traded to the from the pirates because of a guy that was in my region that we drafted in the second round that's exciting stuff for scouts it's all about value it's all about guys playing in the big leagues it's all about um bringing value to a team in an organization to help win a world series and they made you feel part of that so it was tough i have been at home much more, a lot more than I was for the last five years, especially um, allowing to watch my kids grow, um, getting in the way of my wife's routines quite a bit <laughs> because she's so used to me not being here. But it was a tough decision. I was in a good place. 
I, I enjoyed working with the Giants. I enjoyed the, the, the group that was there and the new group that came in. Um, but at the end of the day, I missed being on the field. I coached at Florida Southern prior to getting the job with the Giants. I enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed the recruiting part of it. But I also enjoy seeing my kids grow up a little bit. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it was a, it ended up being a no-brainer. And I will tell you that my, my new scouting director at the time, uh, Mike Holmes, on the phone with me one afternoon as I was trying to make my decision, said, Mike, we love you. We don't want to lose you. But you know what's right for your family. And at the end of the day, it made it an easy decision. I want to jump over to Mike Metcalf, the player now, because we look, took a look at some of your stats, because a few <laughs> of them are out there from when you played at Manatee Community College and University of West Florida. Sure. Would you have recruited yourself no. back in the day? <laughs> Absolutely not. I was a coach's son that knew the game, grinded it out. I was a one-year starter at Sarasota High. I was a backup to two guys my sophomore and junior year that played up to AA and AAA, and I was nowhere close to their talent. I started my senior year because I knew how to control a game as a catcher. Um, I went on to actually Florida Community College of Jacksonville for a year and got hurt, then transferred to State College of Florida, what is now State College of Florida, had surgery on my hand, did not rehab the way you should, did not take baseball serious, as serious as I should have from that point on. I would not have recruited myself, um, but I would have said that guy's going to make a pretty good coach one day because he knows the game. Well, here you are, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah hit look, the nail on the head. And that's the beautiful thing about baseball is um, there's different roles for, for different types of players. but. No, I wasn't a Florida, Florida State, Miami player. I wasn't a Power Five player. Matter of fact, I went to West Florida, and I was lucky enough to, to play for Jim Spooner, who who looked at me and said, you're not going to play much here, and, but you're going to be a coach. And I said, that sounds great. And my last year at West Florida, when I after I blew out my shoulder, I think I got maybe five at-bats, maybe three at-bats, but I was out recruiting as a college senior at a Division II school. So um, it it's it's a great story when you can say you played at a power five, you played in the big leagues, you're a Hall of Famer. Sometimes there's pretty good stories out there also. When right. when I knew I wasn't going to be a guy, I, I was five foot nine and I had a fringe average arm and I had zero power, but I could move a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, I could call it. I could I could call what the coach called. I could block a baseball and I could throw an occasional guy out if that first rounder I caught gave me a chance. So uh, fundamentals. Yeah. 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 What's a coach's son? Hi, uh, coach. What, I, I, what, I got, was it? I got go a blind uh, recruiting test for you now. Oh, this player's from South Florida. Hit around 320, low 300s with a 421 on base. And solid defensive player at second base, middle infield, kind of do it all. Uh, not blinding speed, but just pretty good. Based on this little resume, would you offer this player? I mean, solid players help you win championships, don't they? Yeah. But there's a lot more to it than those numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, is he gonna is, is he gonna sack on a guy over in a championship game if I need him to? He's yeah, he's pretty smart. So we're talking is about he, you, huh? Yep. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, coach. Wrapping us up here. Uh, one word to describe kind of the attitude around the program going into the season opening day, less than you know a week away. Now. Excitement. Excitement. Yeah, it's it's exciting. That's that's Tallahassee and Florida mm-hmm. State baseball. Exactly. Well, th- thank you, coach, for coming. Absolutely. On. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. it yeah. All right. All right, next up on the podcast for our baseball season preview, we got Matthew Nelson. How are you doing today, man? Wonderful. How are you? Doing great. Got yeah, opening day right around, you know, less than a week, a week from today, well, from the day we're recording it. You know, what's the excitement around the program? You know, coming into the season uh, as a sophomore, you're definitely a lot more excited for the season to come back around. 
um, you're a little bit more relaxed, but you know, you know the flow of things, you know how things are ran, and doing inter squads and everything. I think we're all kind of getting tired of playing against each other and just ready to face some other people. Yeah, for sure. For practicing and kind of working under junior now, what's been the biggest difference between 11 and meet? Pace of game. Uh, meet just wants to out condition, wants to out out uh, play the other outplay the other opponent just by you know playing faster than them, getting their pitch, just pace of game and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, really big season last year. You know, ended in Omaha. What was that like? What were you able to take from that experience to bring into, into this year? Yeah, no, that was an experience that was second to none. You know, playing in Omaha, they say that's where you want to play, and it really is. It's it's the best experience you can have. But for me, you know, going into Omaha, it was it it didn't live up to what everybody was saying it was. Just because playing in the LSU atmosphere with people screaming at you, that was a lot more nerve wracking than going to Omaha. You know, Omaha is the experience because it's the World Series, but you know, it's not as nerve wracking as people really think it is. It's less hostile, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So coming into this season, you know, I, I would definitely say I'm a lot more relaxed you know especially getting to know some of the fans fans getting to know me so i think we have them on our side and uh, obviously not just me but coach metcalf and coach right Jay working with the pitchers what's it like been working with them right no um i mean second to none those guys are doing a great job belly's kicking the hitters butts with you know <laughs> with whatever the pitchers are doing some pitches are adding more stuff to their arsenal and you know we don't the hitters don't even know that so yeah. it's just coming out of nowhere and it's catching us by surprise so yeah, you're definitely an interesting perspective. Not only you know you're a hitter, but you've got to you know catch everyone on the staff. What's you know are you, are you glad you're not having to face guys like uh, CJ and Antonio? And... No, I still have to face some during their slots. It's an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage because sometimes you overthink it about what they're going to throw, and then next thing you know, it's not what it is. When you're like, oh, I knew they were going to throw that, but I overthought it. So yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And with the whole uh, back to the run on into Omaha, what was or how much pressure was there on you guys, or did you really feel at any of it during Athens, LSU, or even Omaha? There was no pressure at all. Eleven spoke that from the beginning of the season. He said we don't have to make it to Omaha. Omaha, it's nice. It's a great place. Yes, we want to go there. We want to have a chance to win the World Series, but we don't have to go there because his whole motto the whole entire year was he wanted to develop us as the best players, but also more importantly the best human beings we could be so you know after we went in the Georgia regional and we did what we did we knew we had a shot to go to the World Series and it was always in the back of our mind but it's not what we were striving to do we were taking it one pitch at a time and one game at a time at, at that yeah and you mentioned you know 11 and you got you know the one year here on campus to work with him what, what was that like how you know how lucky were you to be able to it was awesome, and I came in as an older freshman, so I felt that I felt as if I was a little bit mature than some of the other guys. But over the course of the year, I knew because I not only did I realize, but I felt how much more I matured throughout learning from him, yeah. not only as a player but mainly as a person. Yeah, no, for for sure. What's your favorite Mike Martin story that you have? Maybe funniest moment or anything like that? Oh, there's too many. <laughs> there's too many. You I got re- anything. <laughs> You know, I've I've heard some funny stories from before I came here. Um, I mean, I, I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but probably favorite one so far would probably be everybody's one. It's when he slams the bucket, saying we're going back. <laughs> that was that was that was a uh, pretty epic. And you know, you mentioned being a freshman last year, and now a bunch of new freshmen on campus working out with you guys now. You know, you excited about the talent, what they're going to bring to the table? Yeah, very much so. I mean, these guys they come in, they're here for a reason. Um, some of the best players in the country and 
they're going to have to help us out. Everybody has a key part. You got any uh, personal goals for this season? You know, opening day, week away. Be the best teammate I can be. Pick everybody up. Did, awesome. What did you do to try and get better over this offseason, or what were you looking to improve upon? I was up at uh, I was up in Cape Cod. Mm, uh, yeah. I played for the Falmouth Commodores, and not really so much of what I was trying to improve upon, but more so just trying to be more consistent. And you know, going to the Cape actually helped me, um, not just as a player, but as a person too. And, you know, I, I, that's a big part of my game is like you know the little things, the game it's going to take care of itself. Yeah. But whereas when you're helping out your teammates, you're helping out your friends, those are the little things. The little things are come back and they're gonna they're gonna glorify you in some way. So what was that experience like in you know, up in Cape Cod and- Oh the coaching staff, the you know, um, the players, the media team, the host families, everybody were some of the most nicest and genuine <laughs> people I've ever met. I'd never did I think I'd have friends from UCLA, Oregon State you know, Louisiana, Lafayette, Georgia Tech, whole nine yards, and those guys, those guys are awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so not only have you had a lot of success in your career here at Florida State, obviously in just one year, but playing at Calvary Christian uh, in high school, you guys, you know, won a state title your senior year. Right. What What were you able to learn from that and bring to this program? Yeah. No. I. I mean, I came in from a winning program in high school, and I was coming into another winning program. So, um. You know, I knew it was going to be a long season, and a lot of people asked me. They're like, "Oh, your lot, your last two games in high, or your last two seasons in high school, you only lost one game. Like, how is that going to be? Like, when you're in the season, like, if you guys lose games, how are you going to handle? It? Like, it's baseball. Mm-hmm. You lose some, mm-hmm. you win some. You go zero for four, you go four for four. It, nothing's ever perfect. So, <laughs> you're going to fail more times often than not in yeah. baseball. So that's just the case with it. Yeah, three out of ten times, you're a Hall of Fame hitter. Exactly. We asked uh, Coach Metcalf the same question, but just one word going into the season, one word to describe Florida State baseball You know, at this point in time, what would it be? Exhilarating. Yeah, so he said exciting. Yeah, Metcalf so, said exciting. Well, so, he was sitting, you were sitting right over there. Uh, you know, <laughs> kind of cheating in right now. I was going to say exciting, and I was like, I want to say the same word, and then I was like, exhilarating. That's all right. We'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Right there, yeah. All right, man, we know you got to yeah. get out of practice, but but thanks for hopping on for a few minutes. Appreciate it. Thanks Appreciate for having me. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk and Chop. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FSVU Sports. Also, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.